Let's take our Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 4. We'll get there in a little bit. If you know your Bible at all, you'll, you'll know what passage we're going to go to. But Galatians chapter 4. Um, hopefully I got everything figured out. Brother Josh, during the handshaking time, was like, you switched the mic after I told you how to do it and it's backwards. It's, it's underneath your suit coat. So I think I got it. we got it now. But <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4. Uh, Nitin, I gotta say, every time you preach, Emma, Emma gets all excited. Yes, Mr. Nitin always tells jokes, and then the last two or three times you haven't told any jokes. <laughs> so, I brought some jokes, some Christmas jokes. All right? <laughs> you gotta laugh louder, Emma. All right. These are just little one-liners. What do you call a greedy elf? Elfish, elfish. <laughs> Which one of Santa's reindeer has bad manners? Rudolph. Rudolph. All right, let's see here. Where do snowmen keep their money? Oh, you guys. In a snowbank. Alex got it. In a snowbank. All right, let's see. What's the best thing to put into Christmas dinner? Your teeth. Your teeth. Uh, I like this one. What did Adam say on the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> All right. How much did Santa pay for his sleigh? Nothing. It was on the house. <laughs> Why is Santa so good at karate? He's got a black belt. <clears throat> All right, let's see. What does the gingerbread man put on his bed? Cookie sheets. <laughs> All right, just a couple more. Here we go. Uh, what did the beaver say to the Christmas tree? It was nice gnawing you. <laughs> Uh, I like this one, too. Why did Rudolph get a bad report card? Because he went down in history. <laughs> All right, let's see. Last one. What goes O-O-O? Santa walking backwards. <laughs> All right, there we go. Those are our jokes for tonight, Emma. All right, <clears throat> before we get into Galatians chapter 4, I want to tell you a little bit of, uh, give you a little bit of a history lesson. You may, may already know this, you may not. Um, me and Brother Josh were arguing about this a couple weeks ago, the name of the guy that wrote, the Messiah. They always call it Handel's Messiah, and he said, it's Handel. Well, I found out, it's Handel, Josh was right. It's Handel, George Frederick Handel. But anyway, um, how many of you knew this, that the, the full composition of the Messiah is two hours and 27 minutes long. We always sing the Hallelujah Chorus at Christmas time, but the full Messiah that was written is two hours and 27 minutes long. And it, this is also interesting too. For Until I was studying for this lesson, I always thought that George Frederick Handel wrote the words to that. that I, don't, I don't know if I was ever told that or if I just assumed... He did not write the words to it. There was a guy named Charles Jennings wrote the whole script and gave it to Handel. And we know they weren't Baptists because of this. He gave it to him in, uh, let's see, in July for the next Easter. He wanted Handel to put it to music for the next Easter. He gave it to him in July, almost a year ahead of time. We would give it to him like a month ahead of time and say, hey, you think you can figure this out? But anyway, he got it in July, and Charles Jennon asked him to put music to it for Easter, uh, for a performance at Easter the following year, which is also interesting. We always sing it at Christmas time, but the whole, there's three different parts uh, to the Messiah, and the first part is what we know is the, the birth of Christ, and then there's the death and resurrection of Christ. There's two, two other segments uh, that we very rarely uh, hear, but anyway... He wrote the whole, the, all of the music to that whole composition in just a little over three weeks, um, which 
he wanted him to do it by Easter the next year, and he had it done by, by August. But um, it's interesting that, and I don't have the quote here, but um, somebody went into Handel's office and while he was writing this, and he was kind of sitting there almost in a trance. And uh, he told this guy, and, and you can find the quote, but he said, I did think that I saw the face of God himself. So it was a very spiritual thing for, for Handel, when he, Handel, sorry Josh, when he was writing this. Um, but anyway, this is what Charles Jennings asked him uh, when he gave him the, the words and said, can you put it to music? He said, I hope that you'll lay out your whole genius and skill upon this project, that the composition may excel all your former compositions as the subject excels every other subject. He was, he was asking him, do your very best on this. This is about Jesus Christ. And if you know uh, Handel's Messiah, every word of that two hours and 27 minute long composition is straight out of the Word of God, the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, there's nothing else, there's nothing added. It's all King James Bible. And uh, <clears throat> it's not necessarily quoted verses, but all the names of God and everything else, they're, they're straight out of the Bible. Um, but anyway... I say all that to say that the crescendo of the first section of the Messiah is the Hallelujah Chorus. And if you, uh, I don't know if you've heard the story or not, but they say when the first time this was ever performed, it was done in front of the king. And when the Hallelujah Chorus started, the king stood up. And so now that is tradition. Everybody stands when the Hallelujah Chorus starts. And there's a whole bunch of people that say that's not true, but we'll, we'll, uh, we're not going to fight history on that. But the, the, my point is, the Hallelujah Chorus is the crescendo of this whole first part. And the reason it's the biggest part of this section of that composition is because of the joy that had come to the world when Jesus Christ finally was born. Galatians chapter 4, and look at verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, Verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Um, and talk about a little bit tonight, kind of a Christmas message, but, but as we go through it, it's not necessarily about Christmas, but joy to the world. Joy to the world. What the birth of Jesus Christ, what it means to us, not just as Christians, but to the world in general. It's for everybody. Um, we, we like to take Christmas as our holiday, but it's for the entire world. That's why he came. I, I uh, showed my, my brother a song earlier, um, and this is, it's kind of, it's called Worthy is the Lamb, but I was listening to the lyrics, and the first part, we sing the chorus a lot, Worthy, Worthy is the Lamb, but the verse has some really good words, and it's exactly what Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 is saying, it, and the song goes like this, hear the, hear the cries of the shackled from the onset of time. For the chains of defeat, there's no key. See the tears of the broken, the cries of the slaves. Is there no one worthy to set us free? That's the state the world was in. I mean, we, before Jesus came, they're looking for this Messiah. They're looking for this Savior. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament was looking forward to Jesus coming and breaking those chains. The second verse says, Then the crying is stilled, as the chorus rings out, the shackled released from their chains, and thousands of voices are swelling the song, Worthy the Lamb that was slain. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And I've heard whole messages, and they're not wrong, when the fullness of the time was come. History, providence had, I mean, it was perfectly set for Jesus Christ to be born, not only, but also including the fulfillment of the prophecy of where he would be born. That wouldn't have happened had they not been going back to their hometowns to pay taxes. Uh, but when the fullness of time was come, joy was brought to the whole world. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into this message. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for the joy that was brought to this world uh, that night when your son was born, and got even more joy when your son died on the cross, as we just heard in the, in the song on the special. Jesus Christ decorated that tree, and God, it means so much to us. 
It brings us so much joy. We don't live for the same thing the world lives for. God, we live to, to surrender our lives to you because of what you've done for us. And God, I thank you for the opportunity we have. God, I pray that you'd be with me as I, as I bring this message, God, that you'd speak to the hearts of uh, the listeners as you spoke to my heart as I studied, and that you would uh, just give us something from your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Webster defines the word joy as very glad feeling, happiness, or delight. And it's no secret, the world, everyone in the world is looking for something to make them happy. They're looking for joy, is what they're looking for. They don't realize that's what they're looking for. They're looking for Jesus Christ. And um, we know they're searching in all the wrong places. Some people search in, in the drug scene, the alcohol scene, uh, uh, any other of a million different uh, sins, they go looking in those places, hoping that maybe that will make them happy. And, and we see the result of that. Um, not every homeless person is homeless because of alcohol or drugs or whatever, but many are. Uh, and, and these things that they go dive into looking for happiness actually bring them more sorrow and more drama in the end. And, uh, but there are plenty of wealthy happy-looking people that are in the same state as someone who's completely lost their life to drugs or alcohol. Uh, people that are looking for joy in a pocket full of money or in a big house or a nice car or working in a, a good-paying job. These things are fine. They're good. They're, they're nice to have, but they don't bring us joy. Uh, I was, there was a guy, one of the contractors at work. I can't even remember that. I'm not going to remember the name of the jeans. But he's wearing these jeans to work, and I, I've never even heard of them. And one of the other guys said, why would you wear those, why would you wear those to work? That's a $90 pair of jeans. <laughs> They're looking in his designer clothes, looking for happiness. You know, just spending to, to try to, fulfill, to fill that void uh, that's out there. But even these people that have everything or, or have everything that money can buy, especially around this time of year, is most prominent, but they commit suicide. They leave their families, they leave their spouse for another. These things don't bring joy. They do bring happiness. The Bible says that. These things bring joy. Sin brings pleasure for a season. Uh, it, it, it brings a good feeling for a little while. But then that, that emptiness comes gnawing back. Uh, it doesn't bring joy. Um, there's some that... Uh, think that if they just would find the right boy or the right girl, they would be happy. That doesn't bring joy. It brings happiness, sometimes. Uh, sometimes we're betrayed by close friends. We're betrayed by even uh, our spouses or, or a close companion. And going after that friendship, I, you, you think of some of these politicians, especially... Uh, like these ones that, that were friends with Epstein and some of these other guys. They're going after these, these high-profile friendships to get what they can get out of them. And when it's all said and done, they're standing there alone. Look at, look at Jeffrey Epstein. There's nobody there that, with him when he died in his cell, all alone, completely without joy. So the question is, how do we find real joy? And the first thing, uh, while I'm... While I'm uh, talking, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2, and we know this passage as well, but go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. But the first thing we have to do in order to find real joy is realize that, that there is a difference between joy and happiness, kind of already what I've been talking about. Happiness is, to a degree, very much dependent on external things. Uh, it's dependent on how much money you make. It's dependent on what kind of car you drive. Happiness is. It's dependent on the, the house you live in to a degree, uh, how much money you have in your bank account. But I say that it's dependent on external things because the second you no longer have that money or the car breaks down for the last time or uh, you lose your job, that happiness is gone. But as a Christian, it's not joy is not dependent on external things. And when you lose that job, you don't lose your joy. 
We, do lo- we lose happiness as well. We can be happy in the things that, that we have. We can be happy, but we don't lose our joy when those things are gone, and that's the big difference. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, this is what the angels, this is how the angels uh, described the birth of Christ. Actually, we'll get there in just a second. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 says this, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is what fills us, that, that, that void that the world always has. And sometimes Christians have. Uh, I was listening to a message yesterday. I sent it to some of the other guys, just a, a portion of it. But uh, even some, sometimes even Christians have a void because they've never actually filled it with Jesus Christ either. We, there's so many in our churches that are call themselves Christians, but that void is there. Jesus Christ does not know them, even though they claim to know him. But we find, we'll, we'll go ahead and get into the message. This is all, I was all introduction. But we find joy in Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings. And the first thing we have joy in is his birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. We'll just read verses 10 and 11. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I think the most important word in that, in that passage is all. End of verse 10, it says, which shall be to all people. The Jews were looking for their Messiah. They were God's chosen people. They were looking for him. The rest of the world didn't know anything about a Messiah. Uh, they would later when the apostles went to the, went, went to the rest of the known world uh, at that time, but they knew nothing about it. And even then, the angels say, this, this Messiah, this child that's going to be born is for all people. And even today, we're not Jews. Some of you may have Jew, some Jew in you, but I've, I'm not Jewish. But I can have that joy because of the birth of Jesus Christ that the angels talked about over 2,000 years ago because it's to all people. Uh, it's for all colors, all races, uh, all educations, if you're educated or not, you can find this joy in Jesus Christ. It's not for the elite. Uh, it's not for only for the poor either. It's for everybody who will, will go and find this joy in Jesus Christ. So we have joy in his birth. We also, Jesus brought joy uh, while he was on this earth it, during his ministry. And, and sometimes we kind of overlook what that would have meant to some of these people, the stories we read about in the Gospels. Uh, think about the joy, the lame man, who's, I think Brother Josh talked about it when he preached a couple weeks ago, the, when they tore that roof off and dropped him down to, in front of Jesus, and he said, pick up your bed and walk. Imagine the joy that man had when Jesus did that for him. Uh, he brought joy into the lives of, of these people the woman with the issue of blood, for years, possibly decades, she looked for a doctor, spent every penny she had to try to fix this issue that she had, and in an instant, Jesus heals her. Imagine the joy that she had, and so many other stories, every, all the different stories in, in, in the Gospels that we read about. Jesus brought joy to these people, making the, 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 the deaf to hear and the blind to see and I think Jesus is still doing that now. He does it through different means, but we see answers to prayer all the time. We see miracles that Jesus does in our lives, and that does bring joy. That doesn't just bring happiness. That brings joy, especially just even, even Miss Barbara's testimony. Seeing God answer a prayer and show you something in your life, and a, a, a leading uh, what he wants you to do, his will for your life, that brings joy. It brings peace. Uh, and Jesus is still bringing joy to the lives of people today. He's still healing sick people. He's still setting the captives free. And that's probably the, the, the most uh, amazing thing that we get to see. Setting a, a sinner free from the bonds of sin. He did it for us and he's still doing it for others. Delivering people from the power of Satan. And Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. 
And only Jesus can bring that joy. Uh, we, we find ourselves in some situations. We do. But weeping endures for a night. But through Jesus Christ, joy can come in the morning. The third reason we find joy in Jesus Christ is because he died on the cross for our sins. And this is all, this is all review. We, this is nothing we don't know. But John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26 says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That brings joy. Amen. Uh, and think about, I love hearing Nitten, Nitten talk about his salvation only because it was so recent. But you see such a change in, in, in his and Neha's lives and Johan's as well. Amen. A sinner turned from the darkness to the light of Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. And it brings joy, not just to the one that gets that life, but to others that see it as well. Fourth reason why Jesus brings joy to our lives is because when he ascended back to heaven, he left us a promise. John chapter 14. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's the ultimate joy for a Christian, that we finally get to be with our Savior, whether it's by death or by His return. To finally get to be with Him is, is the ultimate joy. Um, and I, I can't remember the name of the song, but I, I like the, well, I can't remember the name of the song. We just sang it a couple weeks ago. The next time he comes, he won't have to die for me. We have joy in the promise that Jesus is coming again for us. Uh, Brother Bill just mentioned it before church. He said, man, we just need Jesus to come back. I know the, I know the unsaved, you know, we, we need to pray for him, but we need him to come back, and we do. Uh, we need Jesus to come back. But the promise we have, I'm coming. I'm preparing a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. That brings joy uh, to the Christian. And it can bring joy to the unsaved too, if they'll just surrender their heart to Him. Uh, but we have joy in salvation, but it, what a waste of a gift to all people. Luke chapter 10, 2, verse 10 says, which shall be to all people, but it, and it's given to all people, but what a waste of a great gift. Uh, the message I was listening to last night had this verse in it. But many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess, I never knew you. Depart from me. Do you know him? And are you known of him? Which is more important. Are you known of him? Amen. Uh, the guy, the, the message I was listening to, he used this example. He said, uh, <clears throat> if I walk up to the White House, and they say, what do you need? And say, I, I need to come in. I know Joe Biden. They're going to go, no. But if Joe Biden walks out and says, oh, yeah, I know him. Send him in. That's a big difference, right? Oh, yeah. Or whatever, whoever the president is. When we stand before Jesus Christ, if he says, I never knew him. I don't know who that is. You're not going in. And uh, the joy we have, know, we can know we have that salvation. I'm going to read a couple verses to you real quickly, and then we'll move on. But 1 Peter 1.8 says, Whom having not seen, it's talking about us, Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's reward for those of us who never saw Jesus Christ, but still believe. Uh, Jesus says that because he was, he was talking to the apostles and said, You've seen me and believed. Those who haven't seen me and still believe is even a better reward for them. Psalm 35, 9, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Psalm 13, verse 5, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. This is real joy. The salvation that comes from Jesus Christ to us brings real joy. 2 Corinthians, verse 6, 10, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things. All he's saying there, all Paul's saying there is, we, we, you may have nothing in this life. If you have Jesus Christ, you possess everything that you need. Everything that you need, and it brings joy. Uh, <clears throat> so, so the birth of Jesus Christ and his salvation brings joy to us, but also there is joy in the Christian life in sacrifice and suffering. And I'm not going to spend long on this at all, but... How can there be joy 
in sacrifice. Much of our joy as Christians comes from our gratefulness to God for his rescue of our souls. That's where it comes from. Uh, And ingratitude and sin causes us to lose that joy. We see that in Psalm 51, verse 12. David says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Why? Sin had taken that joy away, and that's how we get it back. But sacrificing and suffering sound very similar. Sounds like the same thing, but they're two very different things. Sacrificing is giving of ourselves and our talents or our possessions or whatever we have for the work of Jesus Christ. Sacrifice is something we do for him. Suffering is something that happens to us. We suffer. Nobody goes and purposely suffers. Uh, But we do suffer for the work, suffer for and in the work of the kingdom of God. And suffering can bring joy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16 through 18 says this, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. That laboring is, is, it is a sacrifice, but it's the suffering he's talking about, that Paul's talking about. When I, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I, rejo- I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. That we're, we've not, we're not laboring in vain. We're not suffering in vain. We're not sacrificing for a worthless cause. Uh, <clears throat> down through history, people have sacrificed for any number of things. During the war, people sacrificed a lot so that their country could win the war. Uh, we are sacrificing for a much higher cause, but a cause that is going to, in the end, bring joy. We know we're going to win. When people are sacrificing during these wars or whatever it is, they have no idea if they're going to win or not. They might, most likely, will never get what they've given. They'll never get it back, but if, they're, if they can win the war and, and be free or whatever it is that they're fighting for, then that sacrifice is worth it. We're sacrificing for something we know is going to be worth it in the end. So we joy in the sacrifice and suffering for Christ. And then lastly, we joy in serving Jesus. Uh, As we said at at the beginning, it doesn't always mean we're just happy in serving Jesus. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we are hurt by other people uh, that we've poured time into or poured resources into doesn't always mean that we're happy in serving Jesus, although it does bring happiness, but there's joy in serving Jesus. Turn to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32. Verse 11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. When it came to David offering up these sacrifices, serving his God, he didn't consider it a burden. He found joy in every opportunity he had to serve God. And I hope that we do that. Uh, David knew how great God's blessings were to him. And so that's why he told the righteous here to shout for joy. All ye that are upright in heart. When we get to... I think sometimes, that, that's why the verse says uh, about giving, uh, that we're not to give from a heart of, I have to do this, or give from a, a joyful heart, a, a heart that's happy to give to God, a heart that's happy to serve. If we're serving and grumbling the whole time, it's like we teach our kids. If, if I tell you to do something and you do it, but your attitude is terrible and you're grumbling the whole time, you're not obeying. That's not obedience. That's doing it because I'm afraid of the consequences, but it's not obedience. Uh, Joy in serving Jesus very much has to do with surrender of our hearts. Uh, You know, sometimes sometimes serving Jesus isn't easy or necessarily fun, but it can bring, if our heart is right, it can bring so much joy to the Christian. And that's what we live for. We live, we 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 live and we are left on this earth to serve Him. A serving, a serving Christian 
uh, is a fulfilled Christian. It's a happy person. You're going to see the ones that are doing the most, they're the happiest in a church uh, because they know their heart is surrendered to Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I have a quote from Billy Sunday. Brother Bill, I told you I was going to give you one. When Christians, oh, this is what Billy Sunday said about Christians who get to the point in their life where joy, it's no longer joyful to serve God. He said, if you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak somewhere in your Christianity. If you have no joy in your religion, something's wrong. You're, you're, you're taking on water in your Christian life. And that's not the end of the world, but it's a, it's a red flag to, let me get my heart right. Let me get figured out what's going on here because something is wrong in my relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Um, and I, I, I was thinking about this because I had a, a head start on what was going to be talked about tonight, this morning, when I see everybody jumping in to put the auditorium back. And that's, that's what crossed my mind. A bunch of happy Christians serving. You don't see that everywhere. I, we used to, we haven't met for like a year and a half or two years because of COVID, but when we used to go in on Monday mornings for meetings at work, Everybody's not jumping in, setting tables and chairs up. This is like three or four people whose job it is to set up the chairs. Everybody stands around looking at them until it's, then they go sit down when it's all set up. At church, though, nobody even says, hey, let's put all this away. Hey, let's, we jump in. We're serving Jesus. Uh, it's a joy, I know, to our pastor to see people jumping in on the cleaning the building and to see people coming out on visitation and, and uh, volunteering for the different ministries that we have. It's a, it's a joy to see that, but it's even more a joy to be the one serving. Um, and, and I was thinking about this when we were mowing the grass. It's, it's not a, when it's 50 degrees outside, it's no big deal, right? But we're mowing the grass at 100 degrees in the middle of summer, and you're trying to keep the sweat out of your eye, and you're weed whacking, and all of a sudden a big feels like it's that big hits you right in the eye and that's there's no usually not joyful in doing that but when it's all done and our grass when people are driving by our church and they see God's house looking like it should for God there's a joy in serving no matter what it is that we have to do George Mueller and I'm getting close to being done but George Mueller was one of the most frugal uh, obedient servants of Christ, but because of his obedience, because of his service for Jesus Christ, often, and I think we, did we watch a video on it? There were times where he was absolutely broke without a penny to his name. He used every penny he had, even of his own money, uh, in his service for Christ. And this is what he said, I never want someone to look at me and see me worried or sad or confused or bewildered because I don't want them to look at me and think my master is not a good master. Think about, think about that. Sometimes we walk around with our heads hanging and you know, groaning and complaining about you know, what's going on in our life. What is that saying about your master? Uh, being serious as a Christian does not always, doesn't mean we walk around melancholy and depressed all the time. Joy is one of the greatest characteristics of a Christian. Happiness is one of the greatest characteristics of a Christian. If joy brings happiness, so they are connected there. Happiness does not necessarily bring joy, but when you have joy in serving Jesus, you're a happy person, and people see that. And, and uh, I think I mentioned this before, but, uh, and I don't mean to brag on myself, but my point is people see this. I was at work one day, and we had a meeting, a whole bunch of people in the room, and one of the guys, just being his loud, obnoxious self, said, what are you so happy about, Boots? Tell us what you're so happy about. It was on a Monday morning. My point is, people see that. People see, and they, they know I go to church. They know I'm a Christian, and they see, if I'm, if I'm the one always complaining, if I'm the one always you know, bringing complaints to the complaint department at work, and every time they see me, they go, man, what's he, he's going to want something. That's not a good testimony for our, our master. Amen. Go to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll close with this. Matthew chapter 5. 
You'll know what this passage is also. Um, and a kind of a, a break from the, from the Christmas story for sure, but, but not a, it's, it's very much uh, related to joy in the Christian life. I'm going to give you a little bit of a history on this word that we see over and over in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 2 or verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn all those blesseds. I'm going to give you a little bit of history on the word blessed and then the translation that we have here in Matthew. Uh, there's a story about an old rabbi. He was teaching and he said, In the olden days there were men who saw glimpses of the glory of God. And one of his students raised his hand and said, Why don't they see it anymore? And he said, Because nowadays no one is willing to stoop that low. Uh, and, and the point is, who wants to be a lowly person? Who wants to be at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, most of the world, and sometimes us, spend our whole entire lives trying to get on, on top, trying to pull ourselves up, trying to be the top dog. Um, but Matthew chapter 5 is completely contrary to that. And the reason we do that is not just so that we have prestige or power. We do that to try to be happy. Or people do that, to try to be happy. If I can just get that pay raise... By getting this promotion, I will be happy. I'll be able to pay my bills. And as soon as they get that pay raise, they buy a boat and have another bill. Right? They don't ever make them happy. But we follow suit as Christians and try to do the same thing they are all the time. Um, so here's the, the, the history on this word, blessed. Uh, let's see. In the ancient Greek times, this word, it's, the word is makarios. Uh, is, is the word blessed, referred to the gods. It literally meant the blessed ones were the gods. They had achieved a state of happiness and contentment in life that was beyond all cares, labors, and even death. The blessed ones were beings who lived in some other world away from the cares and problems and worries of ordinary people. Obviously, we know that's not true, but that's what they thought. That's what they called in the ancient Greek somebody that was blessed. It was the gods. They didn't have to worry about the things we have to worry about. On this earth. Well, then it, it, as time went on, Makarios took on a second meaning. Blessed took on a different meaning. It referred to the dead. Same, same reason, the, the blessed ones were the dead who didn't have to worry about the things of this earth anymore. Uh, they had reached the world of the gods, and they were now beyond the cares and problems and worries of earthly life. And this is what people would have used this word as blessed. Uh, then it it changed again to refer to the elite, the upper crust of society, the wealthy people. It referred to people whose riches and power put them above the normal cares and problems of the lesser folk of the world. So it always had the same meaning. They didn't have to worry about the things of this earth for, for either they were because they were the gods or because they were dead and they were with the gods or because they had so much money they didn't have to worry about it. Then in the Old Testament, this word took on, Yet another meaning. Uh, it re referred to the results of right living or righteousness. And you'll, re you'll recognize this in the Bible. It would say somebody in the Old Testament was blessed. They were wealthy. They were always, at, uh, Abraham was wealthy, had so much. Uh, Job was wealthy. These were blessed people. And that's the word that's used in the Old Testament. Uh, being blessed meant you received earthly material things, a good wife, many children, abundant crops, riches, honor, wisdom, beauty, good health, etc. A blessed person had more things and better things than the ordinary person. But then Jesus flips all of that upside down here in Matthew chapter 5 when he starts using this word blessed. And he says those are blessed who are at the bottom of this heap of humanity. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. That, would, that word would never have been used in history. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, but Jesus turns all of that up, up, upside down in, in the Sermon on the Mount here. And Jesus shows us that the difference between how the world tries to attain happiness and how a Christian tries to attain happiness is 180 degrees different. And this is 
We're going to close with this, but this is how Jesus tells us we can have true joy. He came to this earth to bring us joy to all people. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he says, now here's the, the, uh, the nuts and bolts of how to attain joy, how to attain true joy in our lives. So look at verse 3. The world says this, blessed are those who are self-confident and independent, those who make of their lives what they want it to be and who forge a path for themselves with their own two hands. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Make a way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this in a little bit, but there's, there's a guy on the radio from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock every night on 1140 talking about, uh, he's a real estate guru, Del Walmsley. This, that's his answer for, you want to you wanna be happy? You want to get out of the rut of an 8 to 5 job, you know, paycheck to paycheck? Forge ahead. Take, take the bull by the horns and just make it happen. Jesus says, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm going to add a little tiny bit here, but it just to add to what he's saying, who realize their utter dependence is on Jesus Christ and live in dependence on him. That's not what the world says. Be dependent on somebody else. Jesus is saying, but blessed are the poor in spirit. You may not have a lot, but you're dependent on a good master. You're dependent on someone who promises to give you everything you need, need, not everything you want, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is our goal? What is, what is our goal? To be wealthy? To, to have uh, some position at work? If our goal is the kingdom of heaven, then blessed are the poor in spirit, the ones who let somebody else go in front of them. And I don't mean in line. I mean, you know what? I'm not going to fight you for that thing. The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The world says, blessed are those with healthy self-esteem and an optimistic view of mankind. And you know this, but the world, we want to see the good in everybody. The Bible tells us our hearts are desperately wicked. Mankind is out there in rebellion against Jesus Christ, in rebellion against God. We're not good people. Even, even uh, America, we're a Christian nation. We're not a Christian nation. We're a rebellious nation people against God. Even if sometimes we go to church and act like Christians, we're not a Christian nation. So the world says, have healthy self-esteem and an optimistic view of mankind. Jesus says in verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. What are they mourning? What are we mourning over? We're not mourning for the sake of mourning. Uh, we're not uh, down in the dumps or sad for the sake of being sad. So look, I'm sad. Everybody will know I'm a Christian. We mourn over the fallenness of the world and over our own fallenness. And when we mourn, Jesus says in verse 4, they shall be comforted. That brings true joy, being comforted by Jesus Christ himself because we're mourning for the fallenness of our world. The world says, blessed are the driven who put themselves first, make plans and go to any length to get what they want. And I have right next to that note, Del Walmsley. But, and I got ahead of myself a little bit, but that's what he says. He's, he says, I can have you retired in two years. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But when that's your goal for your whole entire life, it's not going to bring joy. Right. Jesus says in verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who seek, to, seek for God to be glorified in all they do and seek His purpose to be accomplished before their own. That's the meek. What does God want for my life? Not, sorry, I can't make it to Wednesday night. Not, I understand we work. I, I have to sometimes. But we put God first. That's the meek. We put others first. That's the meek. You've heard the, the little acronym, JOY, Jesus Others, yourself. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's what brings joy. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. The world says, blessed are those who are satisfied with priorities and treasures of this world. 
and I, I mentioned this, I think, the last time I preached or something, but we, we do, we get so caught up in doing exactly what the world is doing. We have the same priorities often that the world has. We have the same wants that the world, the same desires that the world has. But Jesus says in verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus flips the world upside down on its head. Imagine him teaching this, what the people are thinking. They have in their mind, the last definition we read was the, the blessed in the Old Testament. They're wealthy. They have a good wife. They have a nice family. They have riches and crops and animals. They have everything. And Jesus says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's who's blessed. That's who ends up with joy. Those who realize that we are strangers and pilgrims and outcasts in this world. This world is not our home. The world says, blessed are those who demand the best from others and deliver punishments and rewards based on performance. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I read a quote that said, uh, those who believe in sovereign grace ought to have some of their own. We want God to be grace, gracious to us, but then sometimes we're so hard on other people. And that's what he's saying here in verse eight or verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed, the world says, blessed are those with a singular devotion. And, and think about the world's definition of blessed. Uh, it's not the same as Jesus's. Blessed are those with a singular devotion to self who put themselves first and are willing to compromise all other loyalties in order to attain, in order to attain their goals. And this is the world's philosophy. Me first, and no matter what it is. And I was reading a little bit about this and I heard, and a, a pastor said, I'm afraid, and he said, don't, don't make a mistake. I think being a pastor is one of the highest callings in the kingdom, and the Bible says that in, in his kingdom. But even pastors, Christians for sure, uh, lay people, sometimes we, uh, we're so worried about self-preservation that at all costs, we're going to put ourselves first. Uh, think about... Uh, what a kid does when they get caught. It's self the lie and lie and lie and lie to, self -pres to preserve themselves. Christians do the same thing. We get caught in sin or we're in sin and we do everything. I mean, we will go to great lengths to make sure nobody ever finds out. Self-preservation. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And then we're going to finish with the peacemakers. The world says, blessed are those who uh, make self-preservation their highest goal. Did I, did I, okay, the world says, blessed are the moderately religious who gain the respect of the world and are never labeled fanatical. This is what I'm saying. People want to go to church so that people look at them and go, wow, he goes to church, he's a good guy. Moderately religious. Jesus says, blessed are they whose conformity to Christ and passion for truth are so evident that they're disdained by the world and persecuted by the world and even persecuted and disdained by the moderately religious because they make them look bad. But Jesus says, blessed are those who are so concerned with conforming to Jesus Christ. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Blessed are ye when men revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Joy, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. How do we have joy in our lives? Jesus laid it out for us. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, people that, Oh, I don't believe the Bible. That's, that's a, a whole bunch of man's words. That's Jesus' words for how we can have joy in our lives. The, everything the world says brings happiness or pleasure for a short time, but it always ends in disaster. Think about the end, what the end of the unsaved are going to be. Disaster. They may not have it here in this earth, on this earth, but they will. And everything Jesus says ends in the joy of of obedience on this earth and eternal joy 
and rewards in heaven. And, and so I'll close with this, but I think it's so important that we don't fall prey to the world's idea of joy. I was thinking about this uh, at, at Christmas. Without fail, uh, there's joy and sadness every Christmas morning for a kid, right? You're, you're looking for something. You, you're hoping you get it. I hope I get it. I hope I get it. Even if you do get it, it wears off quick. Ten minutes later, it's broken. That's how it happened at our house. You get something, you, man, I wanted it so bad, and, and next thing you know, it's broken and in the garage is where we would put it. In the garage or in the trash. It doesn't bring happiness, right? We have something that brings true joy, Jesus Christ, which shall be to all people. And I hope that this we use this, and we hear this preached every, every Christmas season, but I hope that we use the Christmas season to share Jesus Christ with others. Uh, not just because it's his birthday, but what a, what a good uh, opportunity we have. And we often bypass it. We, we don't use it uh, to tell others about Christ. But let's use this holiday season to show other people where they can find true joy. And if we're losing that true joy ourselves, do what David did. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and, and beg God to restore that joy to us. We have it, uh, but we, we get, let sin and things get in between our relationship with Jesus Christ and we lose that. And, uh, and let people see the good master that we have by the way that we live, by our happiness, by our joy uh, that we portray to them every day. All right? Let's pray and we will have an invitation. Father, I thank you for this day. God, you're so good to us. You're so good to me. Uh, there's so much that I have in my life that I don't deserve, but, but God, you're so merciful to us, even beyond, far beyond worldly goods. You're merciful to us in the way that you deal with us. God, you're such a good master, as George Mueller said. God, I pray that we would be uh, good children, that we would surrender to you and we would see that, find that true joy in serving, that true joy in the sacrifice of giving to you. God, I pray that you would uh, just use these words that were spoken. God, I pray that you'd use your word that was given and that we would use this Christmas time to share the, the joy that you gave to all people. God, I pray that next Sunday as we have our, our uh, Christmas service, now that we would be doing everything we can to get those we know, those we love, out here to, to sit under the gospel message that will be preached, and that we would see people find that true joy that we have, and sometimes we put it under a bushel and we don't share it with others. I pray that you would forgive us for that, and that we would do our best to, to change that and surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.